Last week we didn't quite finish up, so if you still have your outline from last week, there are still just a few blanks, and, and I think you're okay because I didn't have anybody hit me up about those missed blanks, so we'll, we'll fill those in tonight. We're going we're gonna to wrap up this last part. So we're talking about, we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, we're talking about the autonomy of the church. We're looking at the different types of church ministry. So the autonomy of the local church. We looked at the different types of government, the way the polity of church functions. And then we got to the way Baptists function with congregationalism and, and how the congregation, the power is with the congregation. You ultimately decide who your pastor is. We decide that collectively. It's by majority vote. We, we decide what, you, what we're going to do with buildings is we look with growth. What do we do growing forward? And at some point, we'll, we'll have a, 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 an idea of some things. And at some point, we'll come to the church and we'll go, all right, here's some options that we have. And we're filling up in here. I don't know if you've noticed that. We got 220 chairs. I think we have 220 hit chairs. We had 220 in here. We may be a, a, a few shy of that at this moment. But so if it's 220, then the, the, 20, the 80% of that is 176. So it means when we hit 176, church growth studies say that you, you, you stop growing at that point. When you get to 80% full, you're full. And there's a lot of ideas of why that is. But, but I think most of you understand. If you go to the theater, how many of you like to go to the theater where you're arm to arm, elbow to elbow with somebody inside way throughout the theater? How many just love that? Nobody. You love that. Weirdo. <laughs> no, I mean, so nobody, I hate, I, I like to, I'd rather go to a theater and I'm the only one in there. I mean, I, 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 this is my man cave. You know, that's what I like. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to be, and when you go into there, why is it that you don't want to sit elbow to elbow with somebody? Because you don't know them. And that's typically like we, even, even tonight, you look around, we're spread out. We, we've, we, we could all meet together in the front first four rows here and be real close. But what do we do? We spread out and we know each other. And we act like we like each other most of the time, but we spread out. So what happens is, People come in here and they got to hunt for a seat. That's why I encourage you, I'll say it again, scooch over. If you're over here and you're seeing people still pouring in, maybe move over. Move in, leave the rows, leave the outside. You can get out easy now. It's, if you, you, you see the rows. If you got to get out from inside, it's not hard to do now. It's not obscene to do that. You can get out pretty easily before you felt trapped. Nobody wants to sit in the middle because you felt trapped. So now, scooch over make it easy for our guests but they don't know anybody, you know, new people to come. So if they come in and it's elbow to elbow and they're not comfortable and they had to fight to find a chair, they're not going to come back. That's why it stops. So we're looking right now and praying through. We have a team that's working on our, our, on our growth, uh, church growth. You know, what do we do? What are the, all the options? And looking at that. So at some point we'll come, we'll go, here's the options, and the church will have to decide. It won't be the elders. Will, we're, we're working on presenting some things, but we're not, we're not the ones. We don't make that decision. The church will make that decision. That's congregationalism. You make that decision. When you hire your pastor, you, you empower your pastor with, with certain responsibilities, certain authority. It's derived authority. The authority is here. Does that make sense? And that's what we've been looking at with this. We talked about voluntary cooperation. We're, we're interdependent, but we are independent. We're independent. We're not, we're not tied to anybody else. Nobody else is telling us what to do. 
But we are interdependent, meaning that we, we, we want a partnership with other churches and other things to help further the gospel. We want to do those things. We talk about the equality of membership. So if you're in right standing as a member, all the things that are in our bylaws, the way we function as a church, uh, you know, we talked about this. If someone doesn't show up for a church for six months, eight months, nine months, do you want them showing up when there's something big to vote on and having a say? When they disconnect from church, I don't, I don't, I personally, I've never, and it's not because I'm pastor, this is me as a congregationalist. I don't want somebody that's not committed to our church having a say in what we do. If you're not committed to it, I don't want you, you, you don't have a right to say anything. You need to be a part of this. And so that's why, you know, our bylaws spell out, if you don't come for three months, you become an inactive member and you have to take steps in order to become an active member again. If you don't come for a year, you're removed as a member. I have no issue with that at all. I hope you don't. I have no issue with that. It's different if you're shut in or if, you're a, if a college student goes off. But if you're, if you're not connected to the church, you have, you, if you abandon a marriage, how long do you think your spouse is going to stick around? If you just run off for a year and never, they don't hear from you, they can't reach you, you don't, you don't send a check even, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Couldn't hunt you down the, the you know, well... Our government couldn't find anybody that need to be found anyway, but you know you couldn't be found. Yep. You don't come for a year, you get jelly again. <laughs> <laughs> you might, but I don't think it's that good to skip for a whole year, Jason. Unless you're planning, if it's if it's really that important to you, man, I'll hook you up with some jelly. We'll we'll figure that we'll figure out something. Um, yeah, those those are important, but that's part of the membership. So the bylaws. Listen, I had people get mad at me early on because we were implementing some some structure when I first got here. Some things that had gotten a little lax. We already had like a child. We had a child protection policy. We already had that. Really wasn't being enforced. We updated. We had people got mad. Because we were implementing a child protection policy. I don't care. I'm just telling you. I'm not heartless. I don't try to be rude. But if you got a problem with a child protection problem policy, I got a problem with you. I do. That, that makes no sense at all to me because we want to protect the kids. But that child protection policy doesn't just protect the kids. It protects you as, as those working with their kids. So all of this stuff, these policies are put in place, you authorize but our bylaws spell out, you know, if y'all decide y'all want to get rid of me, it's spelled out very clearly. You can get the bylaws, you can look at it, and y'all can order a coup and go, we want to get rid of you, we want you gone. I, I tell you what, enough of you want me gone, I'll leave. I won't fight you if it came to that. Does that make sense? I'm not going to fight. Why would I fight? I, I was debating when I came here, I was like, how, you know, if they vote, if they vote for me, at what point do I go? I don't. If it's sixty-five percent, that's enough for according to their, their. That's enough. But do I want to come into a church where thirty-five percent of them are against me already? I, I mean, I really thought about that. So I, I thought, do I go seventy percent or eighty percent? What was it? Fortunately, it was a hundred percent vote. I'd never heard of that in any Baptist church I've ever been in. So I took that as the Lord's will. But, but the poly, it's there. All of that is there. And it's congregational authority. Y'all have the authority. We, not y'all, we. Because I'm a part of this too. I get a vote in it too. And I'm voting that I stay. <laughs> uh, 
All right, so let's get to the importance of local church autonomy. Um, several biblical principles, principles reinforce the importance of this practice. The first one we'll look at is no outside control. Once again, we reiterate that each church is to view Christ as its head and no outside authority exercising control. So there, there's no one that we, we turn to. We went to our associational meeting, the annual meeting up at uh, uh, Stetson Baptist Sunday night, and... Um, you know, that's churches that collectively we work together. 75 churches in our association. We collectively work together to further the gospel. Uh, but nobody there. Glenn, we don't work for Glenn. We don't work for the association. Our church doesn't answer to them. We don't answer to Tommy Green at the Florida Baptist Convention. We don't answer to anybody else. We answer right here. It's right here. We're autonomous. Um, this, is, uh, this is seen repeatedly as the New Testament pattern. Yes, the New Testament churches were, as stated above, interdependent without compromising their independence. In similar fashion, Baptist churches may indeed fellowship together or affiliate in conventions, associations, and fellowships in order to work together for missionary endeavors and other mutually beneficial programs. But they retain their aut autonomy and independence. So that's a big misconception. Um, there are... I've said it again, I'm a missionary to the Independent Baptist, I'm a missionary to the Southern Baptist. So, because I've been in both camps, and I think both camps misunderstand the other most of the time. They really do. The Southern Baptists think the Independent Baptists are all just hyper-fundamentalist, and they're irrational, and they're legalistic, and they're not. They have some standards that are different, but they love the Lord. By law, I mean, their, their beliefs are the same as ours. I tell the independent Baptists, you know, Southern Baptists aren't crazy, lunatic liberals. We haven't lost our minds because just because we have drums on stage, okay? That doesn't, y'all play tracks. Y'all play tracks that have drums in them, okay? So, so how, how can that be a problem? So there's things like that. So I, I, I want to help understand how similar we are. Uh, but we are an independent church. We voluntarily associate with the Southern Baptists, but we are an autonomous Standalone independent church. All right, next thing is this Baptist churches versus the, the Baptist church. All right, understand, we'll look at this verse, Acts 16, 5 says, so the, churches, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in, day, in number daily. Now, for us as, as informed Baptist Christians, we, we need to understand this, that technically there's no such thing as the Baptist church. You ever heard anybody say that? I'm a member of the Baptist church. Now, they don't mean the Baptist church down the road. They mean the Baptist church, like others might say, I'm a member of the Catholic church, or I'm a member of, of the Methodist church. I, I'm, I'm a, that's what they're saying. I'm a Methodist, or, or, or they're saying, I'm a member of the Baptist church. Folks, there is no the Baptist church. There is no the Baptist church. Uh, so when you think about the Roman Catholic Church, that is the church. And they would say every church is a part of that church. And they are. I mean, you look at the hierarchy, they're a part of that. And uh, that's not what we are. We're independent churches. There are only Baptist churches, not the Baptist church. Okay, uh, Because each local Baptist church is sovereign and, no, and, and, and not part of a centralized denomination. To explain this, so one of the ways you can think about this, and, and I hope you already get it, but if you don't, it'd be like thinking of this. Uh, how many of you like Culver's? If you, don't, if you didn't raise your hand, raise your hand if you've never had Culver's. Okay, you need to try Culver's. If you like a decent hamburger, 
Culver's down here in Oviedo. We had it in Indiana. We were thrilled when it came here. So they got ice cream. They got a little bit of everything at Culver's. Um, I, I love it. We'll get the kids meal. I'm, I'm promoting Culver's. They don't have to give me a kickback. Um, cheap kids meal, hamburger, fries, drink, and an ice cream for seven bucks. Okay? Can't beat it. So Culver's goes into an area. What do they do? They franchise. So somebody opens a franchise over here, and they open a franchise over here, and they open a franchise over here. But here's the thing about those franchises. Franchise doesn't get to do what franchise owner wants to do. He doesn't get to run it the way he wants to run it. Um, even if he thought, well, this is wrong, this is not the way it should be done, he's got to follow the guidebook that's given to him by, by Culver's or McDonald's or whoever it may be. They're going to, that franchise is going to have to, Chick-fil-A, there is a way it is to be done. And you don't divert from that. Is that true, Jesse? Is that true? You do it the Chick-fil-A way. No matter what you think it ought to be, you do it the Chick-fil-A way. That's the way it's done. That's a franchise. And that's where, like the Roman Catholic Church, Methodists, these others that are not congregationalists, they would be like a franchise where the, the higher-ups, they may even buy the property, build the building, they may send the pastor down over here. The, 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 who the pastor is is determined by somebody else higher up. They decide which pastor is coming over here. What's that? So they don't even get to choose their pastor. They can gripe about whoever they send, but they don't really get a choice in that. They are? Good. That's good. Um. The other way is, is more like mom and pop store. So you have, you have the Geneva General. They're, no, no franchise. They're doing their own thing. That's an independent church. That's what we are. We're standalone. Okay? Does that make sense? That's, that's how that works. Uh, this autonomy is ex exemplified in the New Testament in several ways. Final authority in disputes. That's in your notes there. Final authority in disputes. That's settled right here. Elects own officers, elects own officers or leaders. We do that right here. We elect that. We elect our, our elders. We elect our, we call and elect our pastors. Uh, we elect our deacons. Those positions, we determine that right here as a church. Directs own missions and evangelism priorities. All right, so here's the thing. If the Southern Baptists controlled everything and, and we were just part of the denomination, we couldn't do faith promise giving. Because that would be like, no, 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 you don't do that. You just give money to the collective, to the cooperative program. That's what you do. You just send money to us, and then we'll determine where all that money goes. We send a whole lot of money to Florida Baptist Convention. We send a lot of money to the local association. 11% of everything that's given, we give 7% to Florida Baptist. We give 4% to our local association. We tithe. That's what we should do. I believe every Christian should tithe. And I believe we as a church, it'd be hypocritical if we as a church didn't, didn't give back when we ask people to give. So we ask you to tithe, make a commitment to give. So we do that. We give 11%. So what we did do is we went, you know what? We want to know our missionaries better. We want to have personal relationships with our missionaries. And this started when the first year I was here with the Crockett family. And we, we took them on $300 a month. Man, just they visited one Sunday. And next thing I know, we're like, hey, we should, we all think we ought to support them. Yeah, let's do 200 a month. No, let's do 300 a month. Somebody in the back said, let's do 1,000 a month. Oh, yeah, don't get too excited. So we did 300 a month for them. We'd never, as far as I know, we'd never done that before. 
They weren't, they weren't Southern Baptists. They weren't part of the IMB or anything like that. And we've been supporting them all that time, these five years. So that then, then we've, we, we're now doing this mission conference. We do our faith promise giving. Right now we have about $32,000 in the bank. We're giving about $2,200 a month to missionaries. We started out with zero. We had one five years ago. Now we have one, two, we have three or four outside of our, oh, we have more than that, outside of our church. We support the brains. We support a couple of the retired missionaries that are in our church. We support um, Cami, and we, su- what's that? We support FCA, uh, Brandon Crompton with FCA. We support the Crockett's. We support the Earhart's. We just took them on. We have vetted our team, our our, our mission team has vetted three others that we'll be presenting soon to, to potentially take them on. So looking at what we're giving faith promise wise, we're, we're right now giving about $2,200 a month. We, we committed about 40, I think it was about $4,600. And some people wrote a check out the day up, boom, wrote a check. And that was their commitment for the year. So we, I love that. But we can do that because we're an independent church. We're an autonomous church. We get to decide as a church what we want to do. And if you as a church said, nah, we don't want to do that, you know what would happen? You know how you vote? There's a lot of things we take a vote on. December, the whatever, the first Sunday in December, we'll have our, our, our um, annual meeting. We'll have our state of the church address and we'll present the budget and all that stuff and we'll cast vision and we'll talk about, we'll give a report on where we're at May actually have some others give some reports this year on different areas of ministry. Um, but it'll be a good day. And I hope you will. I hope you'll plan to stick around um, and, and we'll do it after the service. It may take an hour, probably less, but it's very informative. I hope you'll stick around and, and be here for that. But we'll vote on the annual budget. But here's here's what happens. There's two ways people vote. Your attendance in your pocketbook. Right. So if, if here, here's what would happen if we start doing stuff and y'all go, oh, we don't like this. Most people won't do what I would hope you would do. What I would hope you'd do is you'd make an appointment and you'd come talk to me. And you say, Pastor, I don't like this. I don't like that you're doing this. I don't like, I feel like you're getting away from, if I get away from the truth, y'all better yank the chain fast and hard, right? Don't, don't, even, don't even mess around with that. But I hope if, if there's something you're not happy about, Preacher, I can't believe we got, pew, we got rid of pews. We can't do church without pews. If that's really, share that. But the fact is, we were going to go to chairs. We need chairs. We, anybody, anybody think they're not better? Okay. I think they're better. Especially when we're having to fix those others every week because they were junk. They just were cheap pews. They were falling apart. And these are, these are better. They're more comfortable. So, you may go, well, if, you know what? If you don't get rid of those chairs and get pews back in here, I'm leaving. Sorry, man, I'm going to miss you. Because I can't, I'm, we're not going to change back to pews just because you, you're, you're not happy about that. But it may be something we can change. Preacher, sure I don't like the way you try to be funny from the stage. Well, I'm not trying because I know I'm not funny. It just, I, I just talk sometimes. I talk a lot. I say things that you may not like it. I don't know. I understand it. There was a guy that used to preach. I'm not going to give his name, but he'd stand up and preach. And he'd put his glasses on, take them off, put them on, take them off. He wasn't even using them. He'd just put them on, take them off, put them on, take them off. It'd be different if he put them on to read and took them off. He didn't do that. He just, he'd put them on, take them off, put them off, take them off. 
Drove me nuts. I couldn't stand it. If he were my pastor, I'd have to leave. It, it drove me literally crazy. It was such a distraction. I could not, I couldn't focus on what he's saying. Charles Stanley, as much as I like Charles Stanley, Charles Stanley wore on me. Listen, listen, listen. You've heard it. Listen, anybody else heard it? He always had good stuff, but it wore on me. You know, it's like, listen, so I can get past that because he's got what he always had. If I listened, it was always something good. But it was it was a habit. It was a habit. Listen, so maybe something I do that you don't like. OK, and if I can fix it, I'll fix it. But what I'd say is come to me, come to our elders, talk to us if there's a problem. And, and don't wait till you're so mad you're ready to leave or you've already divorced the church. You emotionally checked out. Maybe something simple to fix. But that's how we vote. You go. I don't like what they're doing. I ain't giving no more. I ain't giving my money away. I don't agree with what they're doing. How about have a conversation? Okay? And don't leave mad. Don't leave mad. If there's an issue, let's talk about it. Okay? Make sense? All right. I'll see where we can go. We'll get started. You got your notes? Everybody got your notes for tonight? Okay. So uh, this is the priesthood of believers. Priesthood of believers, that's where we're at. Baptist distinctives, we've done the biblical authority and lordship of Christ. Uh, the A was the autonomy of local church, and now we're in the priesthood of believers. The aim of this lesson is to explain the New Testament teaching about the priesthood of each Christian as opposed to a professional clergy structure that minimizes or eliminates individual priesthood. Now, the meaning of, of priesthood of believers... Now, have you ever heard of a Baptist priest? Anybody ever heard of a Baptist priest? There are. Yeah, there are. Uh, there are millions of them. It's us. It's us. We're, we're, we're a royal priesthood. We're actually priests, okay? That's a trick question. I got you on that one. Um, you know, we, we don't wear white collars or black robes or any other priestly garments to identify ourselves. But if you are a born-again believer, you are a priest. Okay, let me sum it up with this. Being a priest, the, whole, the thing about a priest was the priest was the one who interceded between the people and God. We don't have to have that. That's bottom line. That's what this is all about. So we are a priest, okay? In reality, every born-again child of God is a priest of God. From a biblical viewpoint, from the moment a person believes on Jesus Christ as Savior, they become two things. Number one, a saint. Now, it doesn't mean you're you know, maybe saintly. Some, some, are, some are bad, bad women and, and, you know, and then there's Mother Teresa who we need to pray for. I'm going to add this on your prayer list. Pray for uh, Miss Linda. She flew out today. Linda Hancock flew out today uh, going out to Arizona to be with her sister. And so she's really burdened for her sister spiritually. And so y'all pray for her. In fact, when we pray tonight, Brent, I want you to close our prayer and I want you to lift up Linda, okay? So we all become saints. And we're not saintly necessarily, but we are saints. We are washed in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. So we become a saint. Number two is we become a priest and we're able to go directly to God the Father through Jesus without the need of any other intermediary. Nobody has to go before us. You, you know, you, you don't come to me and go, uh, preacher, would you talk to God for me about so-and-so? I need forgiveness for so-and-so. No, no, you don't come to me. You go to God. I, I'm no priest. I'm not a, that type of priest, okay? First uh, Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, 
the man Christ Jesus. He's the only one between us and God. And we go directly to Him. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, to help in time of need. Uh, I love that verse and I love the fact that the Scriptures tell us to come boldly before the throne. Now there's a difference between coming boldly and, and coming arrogantly. You, you know what I'm saying? Boldly would be, you ever seen somebody comes to the door and they're, they're, they're like, you know, is it, is it okay if I come in? You know, listen, I have an open door. I, I, if, if, how many of you have ever come in the office and found my door closed if I'm there? Very, very rarely do I close my door. Probably to my own detriment. There are times where I, I should close it to focus better, but I don't. I just, I, I, the fact is, if you come into the office and you want to see me, if I'm here, my door's open. And, and if, if you come in, you, you don't have to, you know, preacher, is it okay? Now, I don't want you to just boldly come in and start yelling at me, but, um, but, but you can boldly come into my office, okay? And so the idea is the Lord, is, He wants to commune with us. The idea is that we don't arrogantly come before Him. Lord, Lord, let me tell you, homeboy, that, you know, I, I get so sick of hearing people with some of the disrespectful ways they talk about God. God's my homeboy. Me and the man upstairs. He ain't the man upstairs. He's God Almighty. And the way that we reference God, we should have a great reverence for Him. So we don't come arrogantly before Him, but He has invited us into the very throne room of God. And we can enter in. Again, it's boldly. It's just, we don't have to be like, is it okay? Is it okay if I come in? He has said, come in. Come in. So we can boldly enter there. So the biblical understanding of this direct access to God in prayer is known as the priesthood of the believer and has been a recognizable doctrinal distinctive of Baptist Christians through the ages. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9 says this, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But... You are, verse 9, but you are a, a chosen generation, generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Every Christian has direct access to God through Jesus Christ, the great high priest, Hebrews 4.14, says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he, Jesus Christ is our great high priest, and he's the sole mediator between God and man. First, uh, Again, First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God... And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one, he is the only mediator. And we come directly to him. So Baptists hold to the biblical teaching that all believers are priests before God. Every Christian has direct access to God through Christ, but the priesthood of all believers is exercised within the committed community of fellow believers, fellow priests who share faith in Jesus Christ. The biblical doctrine of the priesthood of all believers is clearly taught in the New Testament. I think these, these scripture references here are in your notes, are they not? Okay, they're there. I encourage you to go back and read those and look those up. 
and it was embraced by the early church. This doctrine has been embraced by the early church. So the, the early church understood this, and uh, we as a New Testament church, we practice this. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers opposes the unbiblical doctrine of sacerdotalism. Sacred, uh, how many of you have ever heard that word? Sacerdotalism. You know what that word? Howard, you probably heard that word, sacerdotalism. All right, I'll explain it. So the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers opposes the unbiblical doctrine of sacerdotalism and the existence of a professional priestly class within the church of Jesus Christ. Now, sacerdotalism is this. It's the religious belief emphasizing the powers of ordained priests as essential mediators between God and mankind. The belief that ordained priests are endowed with sacramental and sacrificial powers. There's the sacerdotalism. I don't know what the dotal part is, but it's um, the sacra comes from the sacraments and the sacrificial powers. You, you understand uh, the, when, the, 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 when the Catholic Church takes, takes communion, the sacrament, they believe the priest has the power to change the wafers into the literal body of Christ and change the blood into the literal blood of Christ. It's foolishness. It's, it's barbaric. It's foolishness. Um, it's unscriptural. It's wrong. It's, it, whatever else, however else I can say it. But it's boulder dash. It is. It's hogwash. I was waiting on somebody. <laughs> um, all right, a few more lines and we'll, and we'll stop right here. But first century Christianity had no ordained priests. The original, you know, the New Testament church, first century church, had no ordained priests. The New Testament nowhere uses the word to describe a leader in Christian service. But this glorious doctrine was gradually replaced by sacerdotalism beginning in the third century, espoused by uh, uh, Crispian, uh, Cyprian, Cyprian. Uh, A.D. 200 to 258. He was the bishop of Carthage. Now, Cyprian treated all the... Listen to this. So he treated all the passages in the Old Testament which refer to the privileges and sanctions, uh, the sanctions, the duties, and the responsibilities of the Aaronic priesthood as applying to the offices of the Christian church. So what he took was, he said, look, the Aaronic, Aaron, uh, those priests, the Levites, all the, the Aaronic... All of that, that priesthood, all of that, everything that applied to that, they put on into the New Testament. On, on to, it, it, it does, doesn't it? You bring this right over into the church. That's, man, the veil was torn, it's split in half. There's, there's a whole separation. That all ended, all of it ended, and we'll get to that. He completely failed to grasp the central thesis of the epistles of the Hebrews that Christ is the high priest of the new covenant with all of Christ's followers as individual priests before him. We don't have to go to a priest for forgiveness. We don't have to go to a priest for them to go between us and we don't have to bring things for them to offer on our behalf. We don't have to have them talk to God for us. We get to go right into the presence of God the Father and talk with the Lord Jesus Christ and he he is our intermediary. Amen? Amen. So there's a, there's a lot more to this that will help us better understand that. But that's the, you've already got a really good understanding already of the priesthood of the believer. All right. It's already, I'm a minute over. Any 